My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. You're tuned into Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. I'm so glad to be here with you. I remember the first time I saw the Hold Steady. It was in 2005 at a small venue here in the desert called Modified Arts. It was very loud, so loud, in fact, that uh, Craig and guitarist Ted had to turn their amps around so as not to blow us completely out of the water. So their amps were facing the back wall. 17 years later, the Hold Steady have evolved into indie standard bearers, and they continue to push the lines and create great new records. And songwriter Craig Finn has expanded into a solo career as well and created a discography of smart and tuneful indie rock records. His latest is called A Legacy of Rentals, and like his best work, it traces the lives of down-and-out characters, imbuing them with humanity and inner drama. Uh, Craig is one of the most empathetic indie rock writers out there. I put him up there with John Darnielle, and to that end, uh, he's also launched a new podcast. Uh, It's called That's How I Remember It, Uh, and it's a show about the connection between memory and creativity, which is what we end up talking about a lot in this conversation. Over on his show, he's got guests like Fred Armisen, uh, Patterson Hood of Drive-By Truckers, and Brian Koppelman of Billions. Um, That podcast, like this one, is a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network, and I'm so jazzed to share this crossover episode with you in which Craig and I talk about, like I mentioned, memory, uh, his punk roots, the mood in New York among the sort of rock is back days and a lot more. Uh, I'm always so excited to get the chance to speak with Craig uh, and I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. Uh, If you wanna hear more about how you can support transmissions or get more info in general, uh, stick around till the end of the show. I do a little bit of an explainer of how you can help us keep doing the show at the very end. Um, but for now, let's uh, I'll, I'll zip it up and we can get into this conversation with Craig Finn. Uh, thanks so much for tuning into Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Glad to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Transmissions, dudes. It's it's great to have you on the show, finally. My pleasure. I was looking forward to it. And uh, I told Ken we should go get this one for this round. So I'm excited. To, we we did it. Just under the under the um, 
under the gun because we're approaching release date. So that's good. Yeah, man. Well, it's a really cool record. Uh, this record goes all over the place sonically. Uh, uh, what was uh, what was what was it like collaborating with the Space Bomb guys? There's a real sweep to this record that I feel like is a uh, is is really fun. Yeah, I think you know Josh and I made have made three records so far. Four if you count the collection of B sides, and uh, uh, and that's on the solo side plus some hold steady stuff. So. I thought, you know, the last three, the first three we made together, I thought were almost like a trilogy. Um, and so I said, oh, we got to do something new. And actually, I thought like maybe at that time we should do something, um, you know, I should go off and do something else with new people, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the pandemic happened and then that started to be like, well, Jesus, that's like, you know, flying somewhere else and meeting new people and all this is maybe right. what I should do is call up Josh and say, hey, how is this record different? You know, let's think about that. And one of the things we thought about right away was, um, you know, instrumentation. And the, the last three records have been kind of horn heavy. And I would, you know, I was thinking of, you know, I was been just kind of sitting at home and grooving on things like, um, you know, Wichita Lineman, you know, and, and Glenn Campbell and, and yeah. that era of strings where there's like folk music with this orchestral arrangements. And I was like, I've never done anything like that. And because, you know, that I am like, you know, sort of a talky singer, it might be interesting to make something cinematic that way yeah. um, around these stories. And especially since the songs I was writing were like leaning in maybe a little bit even more to the talky kind of delivery. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we kind of came from that. And and as far as collaborating with Space Bomb, you know, it was sort of a matter of leaving space, uh, leaving space for them to bomb it, um, yeah. leaving space, like <laughs> yeah, leaving yeah. space um, and saying like, well, that's where the strings will go. And um, I still haven't met Trey, but um, really admire him. And, uh, you know, it was just Josh knew him and we sent it away to them. And uh he came back with some MIDI arrangements, you know, like key MIDI key arrangements. And then it yeah. was like, how about this? And we talked through them and, uh, and, you know, thought about where they'd go. And I think it ended up like a um, six, um, you know, uh, six songs. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it, it was really cool. And I was thrilled when I, when I heard it. Do you feel like the fact that, you know, the, you know what 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 do you think was sort of uh inspiring that leaning into the more talky side of things because you know one of the things that's been really interesting about your work really over the last decade i mean for those of us who like were first introduced to you in the hold study the the sort of talky thing is is obviously familiar right yeah but on, on a lot of the solo stuff it feels like you've really expanded as a singer you know what was it? Was it just the writing that was sort of, uh, you know, p putting you in this more, uh, more uh, spoken mode? I think so. I think the writing was 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 driving it. And I, I you know, I mean, it, it started maybe on We All Want the Same Things in 2017 when I brought in God in Chicago, which was a song that I was kind of trying to make into a song. Like yeah, I was trying to find the melody. I was trying to find the the and and Josh was the one who was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You got something here. Like, why don't you just tell the story?" And um, and that kind of unlocked something. I mean, it certainly heard music like that. I think about like um, 
I mean, there's a lot of great kind of talky bands now, but even going back to things like, um, well, you know, there's Velvet Underground, The Gift, and there's there's the Murder Mystery, and then then you know, and then there's like you know, ninety the Arab Strap is is a great uh, talky band that I've always loved. Yeah. Um, so exploring some of that storytelling and and you know freeing yourself a little bit from rhyme and meter and just being able to, and I think that there's something that happens right on the edge of talking and singing. You know that that's really amazing, and I, and sure. there's almost the, this moment of liftoff that you can kind of play with, and so I, I got kind of into that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I to get ready for this talk, I listened obviously to Legacy of Rentals, but I also listened to Open Door Policy from the Hold Steady, and 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 there's some similar that 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 nether zone you're talking about, right, where it's not mm-hmm. fully spoken, but it's also not fully sung. There's there is something very interesting there. It's like where your feet just leave the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like, you know, you mentioned Glenn Campbell and Wichita Lineman, which is, I mean, one of the great songs, right? One of the great story songs. Uh, one of the things that always blows me away about that song is that I, I don't 100% know what the story is. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, it, yeah. it's something, it's there somehow, but it doesn't make sense on a like a linear level for me. It, it is really, I, I, I sort of made a mix, you know, to put on my Spotify that was kind of like things that I was thought were related to the record. And that's the first person song I put on there. It's just a stunning song. I mean, the rhythm section, the way it like, it's it's actually, when you listen to it again, because I feel like I've known that song my whole life, it's a fast song. Yeah. Like, it's actually fast. Yeah. Like, um, which which I don't think of that when I'm not, you know, when I, when I was like, oh, that's kind of a lazy song, you know? But like some of the some of the, the pulses in a way that's really interesting, and uh, again those strings just make it sound big. It's it's I always think of Gone with the Wind, like you know, like right, like, like right. that's that all of a sudden it's very dramatic because there are these strings, you know. Yeah, people will often use the term like cinematic, and you have already, you know, like uh, in terms of implying that sort of orchestral swell, you know, but. I loved I loved that that playlist that you put together because uh, I revisited that too and there's so many favorites on it from from Damien Gerardo who has also embraced really beautifully the kind of strings that you're talking about on some of mm-hmm. his you know Maricopa records um, but then also like you know Lana Del Rey was on there I love I love Lana and yeah. And and Judy Sill, who's been my, I've I've really been obsessed with Judy Sill for many 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 years, but especially the last couple of years. Uh, I was curious how you how you first encountered her art. Do you remember? Dude, I I'm not even sure because that was one of those. You know, that seems like one of those that's like. Uh, I'm, I'm not like, uh, that's something that, uh, that, that's touched my life in the past, you know, five to eight years. Um, yeah. it would, um, it, that, that seems like one of those kind of things like, um, uh, these AM or like these folk records that kind of bubble under and then, you know, they become hip enough that someone like I find out about them, but I, I, it wasn't like I had like an original press of that or something like sure. that, you know? Sure. Um, but that's, that's a music that, that type of music is really interesting. And like, I think about that, um, era of you know i think there was a whole era of folk records where strings were added later 
you know, Um, same as my record. And, and there's almost a sweetening to it. And I love the idea that there's a trust or something, you know, maybe there wasn't, but in my case, there was a trust, but hopefully the artist trusts that, you know, the producer goes off and makes the record even better with these strings. Um, But there's a version that exists before the strings are added. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She's yeah, she's such an interesting artist, and that 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 asylum era, you know, like you're saying, yeah. where like there really is like a there's the intimacy of her of her kind of songwriting, you know, which is almost hymnal, right? And right. I mean, that's a I I, I Eric Davis did a, a I don't know if you are familiar with him very much. He's a he's a is writer. A, no, I don't know that guy. I don't think. Yeah, he he wrote a great book called High Weirdness about uh-huh. Philip K. Dick and Terrence McKenna and uh, Robert Anton Wilson, and he did a bonus thing. Uh, he did a bonus thing for Transmissions, and we talked a little bit about sort of Jesus people music and how, in a weird way, that Judy Sill record could be fairly slotted. I think in with the sort of more cosmic side of like christian folk from that time too you know so there's an element there with you where the religious elements always you're always playing with ideas of grace you know and i really thought about that a lot on this record i i i think and you know i was going to say that um was that i mean one of the things about that judy sill song that really obviously tugs at my heartstrings is, is jesus it's jesus was a crossmaker, and yeah. it's the idea of uh jesus as um as you know uh i guess an occupation you know crossmaker, etc um and yeah. i'm always kind of like the uh, putting biblical and uh uh you know religion in a um normal or a everyday setting uh it's very attractive to me. I, I think of the Bible that way, and I've always kind of been drawn to that in my own work. Yeah, for sure. That's something that I think is very, you know, when we talk about concepts like like grace, you know, which is, a, um, I, I, I'm, I'm like tempted to say something like grace is in short supply now, but that's <laughs> the idea of grace, right? It's always in short supply. Like, right. uh, <laughs> um. But I really do think about what you're talking about. And one of the things that Eric Davis talks a lot about in that book is the way that Philip K. Dick, he really did view the idea of the divine in the sort of, in the everyday, absolutely. But even more than that, in the sort of trash, right? In the underbelly, in the sort of under underworld, right? Of, yeah. uh, of you know, he says the divine is found in the trash stratum or whatever. So I've always been so you know, called to that idea personally, because it's like, where are you going to need the most grace, except for the most graceless spot, you know, and it feels like your writing is always sort of exploring that. Yeah, yeah. I've always, you know, when I was a kid in Catholic church, I'd always sort of sit up straight when they'd say, you know, the 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 tax collector, the prostitute, the the, the people who need it. And forgiveness, I mean, forgiveness, you know, whatever word you want to use it, forgiveness is so... I mean, the prodigal son, all of those stories were interesting, really interesting to me because forgiveness is what allows us to move forward, you know, um, like without it, we we would all be like in this grudge hell, right? You know, I mean, yeah. like, like we constantly give forgiving small things, but I think for our lives to be great and our lives to be beautiful, we have to sometimes forgive big things. And I think that that 
that's something that's really interesting song-wise to me. You know, I mean, Separation Sunday, The Hold Steady is, is kind of one big prodigal son-daughter story of, of someone going off and coming back and asking for forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, that's always been, that's been one of my favorites, like forever, just because I love, I mean, I mean, I've, first off, I like, I've always loved the vi the vivid, like, scene that you paint, you know, but hair, hair done up in broken glass, like, I've always thought that's one of those lyrics that I just, has stuck with me forever, but, but that thing you're talking about, about sort of, um, you know, I, I do think that that's, I, I mean, and I think that we obviously, we live in a time where we're, we're faced with, right now, particularly, uh, a kind of punitive version of Christianity is really culturally maybe the way we're mostly accustomed, honestly, to addressing Christianity these days. I mean, I don't know. It There's obviously exceptions, you know, and, and those are important exceptions. But I, I do think that that's something that feels like it gets lost in the main conversation that we often end up having about what what potential stories we might learn from, you know, these religious faiths and these old texts, you know what I mean? I think that, you know, I mean, I suspect that our politics has become our religion in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. We, we, I think we want, I think that we want to, um, we want to solve so much on this earth. You know what I mean? We want to punish everyone so much here that, um, you know, in, in, in previous more religious times, we left some of it to be handled <laughs> later, you know, yeah, some and, of uh, it. sure, sure, sure. Um, and, and, and I, I think that, the, you know, it's interesting because I think I read somewhere and I don't remember the numbers, but there's like a lot less religious people Yeah. Um, now. And I wonder if there, some of that is people choosing politics and, um, choosing, um, these things and saying like, and, and being aware that it's at odds with true Christian faith and saying like, well, I don't feel right going to church anymore um, because I mean, this is speculation this isn't everyone, but you know, there's gotta be some people that are like, I've chosen, you know, I've chosen darkness and, <laughs> and sure, you know, sure. there are people, there are people that say, well, this is my version of Christianity, but I think there are people that say like, I'm, I've just, I've gone off and, um, I've chosen this other political, um, uh, path. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I do think that thing you're talking about, about, forgiving big things you know uh the, the one of the songs i really i love messing with the settings an awful lot on the record and and another one of those lines that really got me was uh you know rachel did the best with, with the deal she'd been dealt or something like i don't, I don't yeah. know if i'm quoting it exactly yeah that's right. right and i thought to myself like really that is kind of like when we think about like what we could potentially do to connect with each other uh, uh, in like this time of however you want to define it, right? Like pretty inarguably a time of great disconnection in a g very general sense and also um, overall sense, right? I think maybe if there is one way we could seek to connect again, it's the simple idea of cutting each other some slack in terms of understanding that like, people come from where they're coming from right you know uh and uh and that line i really i that line really gets me in terms of sort of like illustrating that idea of um you know obviously none of us are 
none of us can can write with true moral authority in a lot of ways, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, we're just talking about separation Sunday and the concept of forgiveness. And even though I was old, old for being in a band at that point, (laughs) you know, it's 17 years later or whatever. And I've had, you know, you get older, I'm 50 now. And it's like, you have to start forgiving people for bigger things and you have to. Yeah. um, And, and so I think there is a, 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 like a, you're up on the ladder a little bit, looking at a, a lar- longer view, and um, yeah, I think you know with this record, I that song in particular, that's like a straight up eulogy, you know, like that's that yeah. that is about someone who's passed, and that with this record was started writing, I, I lost a good friend, um, and and I started to think a lot about that, not in the sense of like, oh, I'm 50, I'm old, people are gonna die, but like, how do we remember people, you know, like how. And I think with my friend Brian, he died right at the right as the pandemic started. It was unrelated, but we couldn't gather. We couldn't have a service. We couldn't. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of a lack of a closure. And so it's like then it's like, well, how are we going to remember? How how do we carry things on? And um, thinking about sort of things in those bigger, um, you know, from a broader view, I think allows you maybe to forgive. Um, I had nothing to forgive him about, but, you know, forgive sure. other people in my life, you know, um, and, yeah, and absolutely. Say, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, what really matters and, you know, uh, what what's worth taking to the grave? Probably not much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I had read that you had said that the record is a record about, about memory. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit of, about that. That sounds like that's what you're talking about is this sense of like, when we look back on our time spent with each other, which is a thing that we all ended up doing so much, right? By necessity yeah. during the during the pandemic, when some of these songs were written or a lot of them, I think. Um, yeah, but yeah, what, there, what, what was that like? Well, there, there, there was death, right? So that, that was the first thing. And then there's this sort of pandemic thing as this historical moment of like, literally being like, how are we going to remember this? Like, you know, what, 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 yeah, I, I when wonder. we go forward, because, you know, I lived through nine 11, I was in New York and, and there's, I feel like that be, that wasn't like it was, it, that was under construction, the memories yeah. around it, you know, yeah. for years. And they, and, and they, they, they were affected by other things as the year, you know, it wasn't one linear story. So I kind of got obsessed with that. And then the other thing that happened is in May. So the pandemic started in like March, in May, um, George Floyd was murdered in my hometown of Minneapolis, and I watched that, and that was really profound to watch. Um, you know, despite all, uh, you know, aside from all the anger I was feeling at the injustice, you know, to, I was watching these like you know, whatever uh, underground reporters would put up streams, and you yeah. could kind of go in and see. And I was, it was wild. I was seeing places I've been too many times burn and I, and honestly i started to see people i knew like you know i'm like yeah. oh that guy i know that guy it's you know it's not a huge city so i was like right. i remember that guy you know and uh and so it was it was this like you know this kind of thing i started to think a lot about how are we going to remember all this and so it's like not just people but places and events and how are we going to and i think about art like create creativity creating um, it, it feels like some, like almost all of it in some ways is just simply carving your initials into the tree. Right. It's like CF, CF was here, right? Yeah. Like, and, and, yeah. you know, 2022 and, uh, and this is, it's almost like, you know, you carve your, 
your height into the door as a kid and you say, here, you put a date next to it. And it's like, you're not growing maybe physically taller as you get older, but your, your, your viewpoint's growing. So each record, each creative thing, you're kind of marking your spot and saying, well, here, here's where I am today or when I wrote these songs, et cetera. Yeah. When you, you mentioned that the, the hold steady, you know, that was, you know, cl- close to two decades ago, you know, or about about two decades ago that you guys started playing together. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it'll be 20 years next year. Yeah. I mean, so when you go back and you listen to those records, however often you do or don't, you know, I mean, I don't know how that works, but <laughs> um, but do you feel like you when you hear those records you hear who you were in those in those moments in a lot of ways yeah um yes absolutely i mean like almost killed me especially the first one and we did reissue it a few years ago so like when i went through the like remaster i spent a lot of time with it and it's like i i remember like that like there's this um there's this part where I talk about a few times I talk about clever kids, you know, don't you hate these clever people and all these clever people parties. Um, that was like my friend Dean would say that word clever. And I yeah. remember like, oh, I was hanging out with Dean. He would always say that that ended up in my song, you know, and that was like, I think a bo- kind of a Boston hardcore term phrase slang yeah and uh and dean ended up recording the record so uh, him and i were hanging out all the time so i I, yeah there's these like little benchmarks you're like oh i I know where i picked that up and then i threw it my song of course and then in 2004 and here i am remastering it in 2018 yeah and we're revisiting it but it's again it's that carving your initials into the tree kind of thing yeah yeah, that's that's fascinating. I think back on how exciting the hold steady was for me in those days, especially because, you know, it was funny that there was so I think back on the sort of like era, you know, and the sort of rock is back era that people were were discussing. And for me, it was I love a lot of the stuff that's associated with that, too, you know, the strokes or whatever. Yeah. But but like I remember like hearing the hold steady and being like oh this is a kind of rock that's back that's uh, that i that i recognize maybe more formatively you know from from what i maybe heard growing up or whatever on on classic rock radio or whatever so you know i wonder if at the time you mentioned that you felt a little old for being in a band at that moment um what did it feel like playing with those sorts of themes and those sorts of sounds while also where I mean, were you thinking to yourself like, I'm I'm dancing around being like, was there almost a sense of like, I am a little older than these guys. Yeah. I'm gonna sort of show them what I remember. <laughs> I mean, is there any sense of it, that? It wasn't necessarily. That, I don't think that's exactly right, but you're you're getting at something. I mean, yeah. I uh, I like it, there wasn't anything angry because I loved the Strokes, for instance. Like I was, sure. I went to like I got that album. I went to the co- first concert I could. The once I heard them, you know, I loved it. But I didn't feel like I could be a Stroke, you know, like like I I didn't sure. look like sure. them. I was too old already, you know. I was from the Midwest. I wasn't like you know. Um, so when we started playing, I mean, the other thing about the whole study that's that is really interesting to me, or, or I think important is. We'd kind of, we come out of, I'd come out of Lifter Puller and I'd been listening to a lot of first hardcore and then mm-hmm. indie rock. Right. And, you know, 90s indie rock that was, you know, things like Pavement, Sebado, Archers of Love. And it, I really kind of had gone from hardcore to 
indie rock without really ever having a classic rock phase. I knew Led Zeppelin from high school parties or whatever. Sure. But I didn't know the difference between Beggar's Banquet and Let It Bleed, you know? And so right at the end of Lifter Puller, we started um, A, getting a little uh, frustrated with indie people. Yeah. Like, we were looking to have a party. We were looking to meet girls, etc. What and were what it, were what were they looking to do? Indie was pretty. It was just stuffy and kind of nerdy and like you know maybe a little prudish and uh, yeah you know there was not generally enough drugs and alcohol around um, <laughs> for our uh, what we were uh, what <laughs> you know, hoping for sure. So so um you know we were a, li a little feral compared to a lot of indie um and so and then we were you know in the van it was always we started listening to like the stones and and acdc and all that so when we started the whole steady and even in the years before i'd been giving myself an education by going into record stores and you know the dollar bands you know it's like wow you can get um you know any number of you can get like the the bto records for for two dollars each and they fucking sound great and grand funk and all this yeah and it, it it seemed a little bit belligerent and a little bit reactionary but i don't think it was against the actual new york bands because um they they, they were uh, they were operating in a different thing but it was sort of uh against this general indie sensibility I yeah think. Uh, yeah what does it feel like now having that sensibility and i don't know where that sensibility stands but you know we're we're getting to the point where 20 years makes some of that stuff that was happening then count as a form of classic rock now you know i mean is that a weird thing to sort of like watch the cycle turn over in a certain way yeah it is in it i mean it's strange because uh i mean i feel like that was this is how i remember it anyways like i feel like at the end of the 90s and into 2000 people were saying like rock is dead but even when rock came back in like 2000 with the strokes and white stripes i didn't really feel like it had gone oh yeah <laughs> now i feel like it's gone I mean, rock and roll's uh, relationship to the mainstream sure. is is um, it's with the Foo Fighters out of commission. I don't know if there is a you know maybe the Chili Peppers. That's about there isn't much beyond that. I mean that that is big enough to play at the Grammys or the Super Bowl or whatever. So you you know there's that, and I you know I mean people joke, wow man. Um, this whole steady audience is pretty male and pretty old. <clears throat> They're true. It's true. Yeah. However, I'm noticing a lot of the rock shows I go to also pretty old and pretty male. Yeah, um, sure. Including sure. bands, including bands that are significantly younger than us. Um, so I think that there is uh, a feeling of, yeah, these 20 years are coming back up, but I don't know what's, I'm not sure I feel like uh, it, there's a reverence for it. Um, yeah, you know, sure. In it, that, that, that's coming back. And, and the young people that are in my life think, the young people in my, that are in my life think guitars are so on hip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like samplers and laptops and, and or whatever. Yeah, yeah. hip hop and, and also songs, you know, just songs. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. playlists, songs, not 
not bands, not, you know, like, like, you know, like, like the opposite, um, like what, whatever sounds good right now. And that, I know that's not everyone, uh, but that's the, 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 the majority of the young people are in my life. Sure. Sure. Something that's interesting is from open door policy. I'm thinking about the song unpleasant breakfast, which I really, you know, thinking about how you've been a band for for nearly 20 years uh it's it's great and wild and exciting for me for there still to be moments that happen on a record where i'm like this is like a different thing almost entirely you know what i mean or like this feels like a real a fresh thing so so i wonder what the process has been like for you guys as a group of collaborators you know both you as a solo guy off on your own, right? And then yeah. with the crew, you know, what kind of conversations you have about, you know, how do we keep shaking things up? Is it important to have conversations about that? You know, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's easier on the solo side because it's, you know, generally just Josh and I talking about this. And Josh, you don't have Kelvin, to, yeah. Yeah. And Josh, Kelvin, and I are both pretty like, um, we can talk a lot about things with like the amps off, like, you know, we can like start describing things and like, we don't, we can both get conceptual with a band, you know, sometimes there's a little less of that, but I think that there's a, I think Josh helps a lot. Josh produces the whole steady now as well. And also I think there is a, a sense of, wow, we've been doing this long enough. Like, you know, we don't really need another record you know like like sure. i don't think i don't think um i think we could go play shows with the eight records we have as the catalog yeah so if we're gonna make a new record why you know and what's it gonna be so i think you do have those conversations and i think like um i know franz is like especially good of like he'll he'll say well we haven't done this before and yeah that's a great place to start that's a great place to start a song for a band that's that's 20 years old when did he rejoin the band? What year was that? 2016, which means, which is funny because we still on our Instagram is like, is Franz back? But it's like, <laughs> he's actually been, this this version of the band, I think is the longest version of the band, you know? Um, it's, that's so funny. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Uh, but we, we, you know, you still get it. But uh, but that's that's to be expected. We don't, you know, we don't uh, play as uh, as many shows. It's obviously, the presence of like you know coming up is different than the than when you're kind of older. But uh, but yeah. yeah, this is the longest running. Uh, this six piece version of the band is the longest running version of the band. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you feel like you you mentioned Josh Josh Kaufman and obviously you have collaborated an awful lot with him. I wonder if you could tell me what do you think your favorite thing is ab about working with him? What is it that makes it so fruitful for you and so comfortable? Um 
comfortable. Well, I would say the comfort comfort thing, and I think a huge part of his his magic is that it's always fun to work with him. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like the first time I made a record with him, it was Faith in the Future, my first solo record I made with him. And we got snowed in. Like we like drove up, we were gonna get snowed in. We like drove in as the storm was hitting, and he immediately started making soup. Like, you know, and yeah. like, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't like move the amps. And I was like, oh, we're just going to like make soup first. And I thought that was like, wow, this is going to get homey and like really sweet. And we're going to, um, you know, uh, we've, we've got groceries. We've got a few bottles of wine and we basically like be- got beautifully snowed in and yeah. made a record. Um, and I, I think that that's amazing. He's really helped me and changed you know the first few records we made he'd constantly be like you know you're setting up the song too much like you're introducing it too much just drop me in the middle of the story now that's changed however i've started to say like oh i know what josh would say about this i'm not gonna i'm gonna throw out that first verse and i'm gonna you know so that's actually changed how i write um yeah but i think it's positivity and i think with the hold steady um it with me as well but especially with the hold steady He's not really, I mean, production-wise, I think we're the first, probably the biggest, um, both in sound and maybe in stature rock band that he's produced. So he's not coming in as like big rock rock and roll, like, you know, rock dude. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not like, um, so So I think he kind of comes at it with a different sensibility. And um, I think that's helpful. And I think that's, um, I mean, he's been life-changing to me on on all fronts. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it sounds like on this new record, there was like, you know, there was a lot. I mean, when, when, when you guys, you mentioned you guys can get conceptual and I wonder what, if you could tell me a little bit about what that, that looks like. I mean, are you the kind of guy who, you know, um, uh, not that long ago I had the privilege of, uh, I was doing a session with, uh, Stephen Hodges, uh, a drummer mm-hmm. who, uh, was telling me about working with David Lynch on music for for uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, and he mentioned something to me along the lines of like, "Yeah, like David Lynch doesn't tell you like uh, play it medium tempo with a little bit of like uh, you know slapback or whatever. He's like play it like you're driving a car in the middle of the night and there's a you know or whatever. So I wonder yeah. if like are you guys sort of illustrative that way or 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 what's it like? Yeah. Yeah, we have this thing. One thing that we say is days gone by. And um, it's not like a nostalgic or like a, um, uh, you know, it's not like an old timey sound. It's just sort of something like, can you get to something that's wistful and like, um, yeah, and, 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 and sweet in a way. I mean, I think like an example of days gone by in someone else's catalog, and this is probably dated, but like, you know, in Born to Run, there's that you know there's the driving rock thing but there's this little phil specter thing in the background oh yeah 100 percent. and and so it it makes you feel like you're in a modern time but maybe something old is on the radio and you're driving and so you've got all these this sort of not baggage but memory kind of with you and i think that there's that um that that's like one of the things josh and i did one of the other things about this record is that like you know like like we're hanging out talking about the songs and he's like fretless bass and i'm like yeah he's like yeah fretless bass i'm hearing it you know are you hearing it and i was like yeah and you know then there's a fretless bass and it's kind of like the you know pink floyd hey you kind of and you're oh, like yeah, yeah 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 there it is there you know and uh and so thinking about sounds that way 
without going like, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, but like actually like being quiet and speaking about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. And there are so many moments on the record where it feels like there's a little bit of, um, I love when, a when, a you know, you don't make, it's not a retro pop record, whatever that might mean. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like that's a strange term, but the way you you do pull sort of like a synth sound from the 70s but the but the guitars are from the 80s or something you know what i mean like that 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 kind of like mixing it up it ends up widening the landscape at least you know i'm sure that's part of the idea yeah and it's part of the storytelling right i mean like all these are you know josh is always like interested in the story i'm telling because that's where we always start with like the most basic version of what i've written which is usually like three chords in a story yeah so it's like okay how do we tell this story more dramatically and uh um you know and then in this case we had michael libramento who played bass and a lot of other things you know clav and all this and then joe russo um playing drums who's obviously a master of percussion so incredible drummer yeah so with those three guys you can go a lot of places and sometimes it's just a matter of like like let's literally switch places you know like like yeah or you know there'd always be like stations and we'd you know we'd build things up pretty quickly and sometimes josh would you know josh was the leader so he'd say michael stop playing bass start playing clap or something like that and and you know then and 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 you're getting somewhere quick which is one thing i love about making these records is we get we get places quickly was this a record that came together pretty pretty fast yeah i mean i well i mean yeah i i started i I felt like yes and no i mean i feel like i wrote all the song most of the songs quickly um a lot of them were written uh, my partner angie is a nurse and when covid happened and when the lockdown happened she went and uh went to um work with um covid patients and yeah. so i was displaced i i because we don't have walls in her uh part didn't have uh i went and lived with her sister and uh you know sort of had my own room and kind of shut in there and just started writing a lot of songs so a lot of them came from that initial burst yeah. um but then some of them trickled in um but yeah, I mean, I think we made the record, you know, in a in a week, um, in maybe like five or six days, and that includes like, you know, I think I met Michael um, the morning we recorded the first song, so it was like it was, you know, it was pretty hit the ground running. That's cool. I love the the immediacy of it. You know, like that's a that's a great that's a great feeling. And when you're working with a collaborator who brings that out, you know, and facilitates that, it's such a cool feeling. I think that's really really exciting i made a few records like that where it's like having someone else um that you know is spoken of highly like he's vouched for him or he or her but uh and then it's just like okay go in and start you know you're making it and you're like all right this this new person is adding so much energy to it and that michael libramento added a lot um of that energy to the record that I, that i still hear when i listen to it and really really enjoy yeah that's awesome so I understand. Uh, I don't have all the details yet, but but you've been working on a, on a podcast too, right? Yeah, um, it's gonna debut soon. Um, it's called "That's How I Remember It," and um, I was. It it kind of has to do with what we were talking about about memory and creativity. The idea of how we like make things to kind of try to memorialize them, and I just had this idea about creators and um memory and um 
I guess one of the places I start each episode is by asking, I, I have one creator uh, come on and I ask them if they think they have a good memory. And um, well, predictably they, they all do, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, uh, which I, I, which I'm, you know, is leading me into other theses about that concept. Cause I also think I have a great memory. Um, but, but, you know, thinking about how, how these um, these things lead to stories. And one of the other things that, you know, when I talk about this, uh, you know, uh, the carving and the initials and the tree, the idea that like, okay, so I, I, you know, I have these memories and experiences and I make them into this record, a legacy of rentals. And then, you know, hopefully some kid out there, some person is going to say like, you know, summer 2020, you know, 22, that's the that's the uh, summer um, that was the you know the time a legacy of rentals came out and I remember it and I think about that you know the records that I made that I love that came out you know the year I got my driver's license or whatever which were created by experiences and memories of the artist um, yeah to make these sort of double benchmark kind of things yeah what I mean do you remember are there specific like what 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 record do you I mean when you think about first getting your driver's license what mem- what record do you think of um, well, so I think in, um, uh, w- one record that was definitely, I think of was, uh, was, um, pleased to meet me by the replacements, which came out, um, in, uh, the, like, right at actually this time of year, my, my sophomore year. Yeah. So I listened to it all that summer and I got my license in August, but that was like a big one. Um, that summer, uh, well, um, Descendants Liveage is a big one because um, I went to that concert that was recorded live in at first Avenue in Minneapolis. And I, I went to that concert um, just probably about a month before I got my license. So that one always brings me back. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, those, those, those records, I mean, I think like a document, I remember like th- the first time I, I remember driving to a record store and buying a record. I think it was REM document, which would have been that fall. I think I probably bought a record before then, but I think that's the first time I bought, like drove to the record store on the day it came out and bought a record. Yeah. Um, that's so those cool are, those feeling. are all tied to like these, these moments. So how does the podcast work? You have a different guest each episode and they, they join you to talk about their own, their, their memories. Yeah. I mean, I ask them about memory and, and, and most try to figure out how that those memories end up in their work, you know, and it. it's interesting because I, you know, if you, I just was with a television writer who writes largely genre, right? So you, you know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, necessarily mean if you're writing something that's in fantasy it's not exactly your experience right um but it might show up in the details of what street they live on you know i mean at some point you need the name of of a character and you end up using your favorite history teacher from ninth grade or whatever and so the way these things funnel into all of our stories we tell it's such an interesting thing to think about. I know in the time, you know, I haven't done as much of it lately. I mean, no, nobody has, but for a, for a while I was doing like a live storyteller thing every, every now and then. And it's funny the way, you know, these would be autobiographical stories usually, but it's funny the way you realize that like incorporating real details into work you know, it's it, it feels like a, it feels like paradoxical because like the more you make it 
specific, the more somehow universal it feels. Do you know what I mean? And so I think the way we the way we end up rating our own memories for stories is is an interesting thing. And it's interesting to watch the way they develop and change over time because that's another part of it, right? Like memories aren't entirely static things. This is really like what one thing I love about um, the pod, the podcast and what I'm trying to get to is when people find out that their memories were wrong. And um, <laughs> one of the, one of the sort of um, basis or one of the texts that I really think a lot about is um the book, The Night of the Gun by David Carr, uh, where he goes back and investigates his own past um, with sort of an investigator, an investigative journalism approach to his own past where he was an addict. Um, and he's, some of his memories are um, kind of flawed or um, a little ragged. And he finds out a lot about himself that, that he had either forgotten or sort of retold I think in some cases as a survival method. Um, and um, that's really interesting to me. And I, I'm always trying to, when I'm doing these talks, I'm always trying to find a place where maybe um, a memory has, has departed from, you know, or, or, or doesn't kind of hold up under scrutiny later um, if I can. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's another line on the, on the new record where you, you, you talk about magical thinking, you reference magical thinking. And, and I think about how, to some degree, even when we don't mean to, a lot of times we're 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 fixing we're fixing the things that happened in our past. You know what I mean? In order to, well, one on a positive side, maybe to not recreate those problems. That's a good potential thing. And then the other side is, of course, just to ameliorate whatever weirdnesses we feel about what we regret. You know, is what we yeah. all do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a way to like. I one of the things I ask people on the podcast is like, do you think you remember good memories as as well as bad memories? And I think that we we kind of flatten out things, and we tend to remember peaks and deep valleys, of course. But I think we can't remember like like we don't remember the annoying stuff, you know? Like when yeah, of I'm course. <laughs> when I'm home from tour when I was in the pandemic, not touring. I'm like not remembering getting shocked by the microphone. I'm not remembering waiting around. I'm not remembering eating bad food. I'm remembering playing the show and everyone's going crazy and it's fucking awesome. Like yeah. that's the only thing you can remember. What's interesting is that um, I, I when I was talking to my bandmate Franz about it and at some point during the pandemic and I was like, I did find after a while that the parts I really missed about touring were the part when you like show up the night before the show and you go down here in like the Hilton Garden Inn and you have a beer at the bar and it's so unremarkable. Yeah. And you're like, I, it turns out I love that, you know? Um, yeah. But also on the, on the record, there's another song called Never Any Horses, which is like about two people that remember an event, a party way differently. And, and he's saying, you know, remember there was, there was caterers. There was like horses. Yeah. There was like stables and acreage, and there was all this feasts. And she's like, "No, no, no, no. We just went up. My cousin shared her pain medication with us. Right. And then you fell. Then you fell into the fish tank. You know. Yeah. And 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 he's like, "Well, there's never any horses. You know. Like, yeah. Like it's just and and so that was kind of like a, a part of the record that made me really like obsessing about people who have different stories about the same event." Yeah, the Rashomon thing, where we're yeah. all, where we're all, you know, in our movie, it, it played out differently, you know. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, well, that's a beautiful area of 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 like inquiry, you know. So I'm really excited. I can't wait to listen to it. There, I mean, there's also this sort of postmodern thing of just like everything's a memory. So if it doesn't go well, you're still just talking about things you remember. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that works. That works. Well, that's awesome. Uh, have you have you been able to do some live shows over the last stretch? Or are you are you getting ready yeah. to go do some now? Yeah. So. Um, we can the whole city came back in november and uh we still working off a lot of reschedules from 2020 but the first one that came up which kind of serendipitous was we got we we started back up again at first avenue in minneapolis so that was kind of a great place to kick it off we did our four annual shows in brooklyn and um December, we did our three annual shows in London in March, which was amazing to be back there because that's where we um, that's where we kind of got off the timeline. Back in 2020, we did the London shows and then it stopped. So yeah. <laughs> it felt like getting back on the timeline. And then we just uh, we were in Toronto for four um, last week, two weeks ago. And then on Sunday, we go to Australia. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Are, Things and then to Nashville and Atlanta and Denver and then uh, I'm starting touring in late June on the solo record with like, some Midwestern dates and then I'm going to um, uh, with the the UK and Europe in September and then uh, a tour in of the states in October. Oh, that's awesome! So it sounds like you've got like a real a, a real busy stretch planned. Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, it's it's a weird world out there these days. But um, uh, it you know, at the same time, it feels like uh, certainly fun when we get to play the show. So I hope those keep going. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to hang out and talk about always, the, the record. It's so much fun. Always a pleasure, Jason. Really, really enjoyed it. They say the opposite of love is indifference, and there's a physical consequence for each and every action. Once they started rolling around, the coins fell from his pocket and the whole thing just felt like a transaction. When she showed up at the bar last night, she didn't intend to stay out late, but here we are again with the sunrise. Scraping at the remnants of a high time, she shuts her eyes and lets it spin and calls in sick to work again, leaves a message when she knows they won't be in yet. Thanks for listening to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I know how much competition we have for your attention on the internet. Uh, and granted, there are a lot of things happening right now. So uh, your attention being divided is more than understood. But if you are listening to me right now, that means you've stuck around through the entire conversation. And, uh, maybe that means you want to help keep trans. You want to help transmissions to keep happening week after week. If that's the case, uh, the best way you can support us is by checking out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. Um, that helps us keep the servers humming and keeps the lights on. Uh, and if you want to help uh, us out in a in a less uh, uh, fund centric way, then uh, just simply share this episode and tell people that they should listen to it. Send it to friends who might dig it. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Big thanks to Daryl Norson for his help with the visual design on the podcast art over these last couple weeks. As always, Daryl, you're the best. Our show is executive produced by Aquarium Drunkard's founder, Justin Gage. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and spread the word if you dig transmissions. Next week on the show, I sit down for an absolutely lovely chat with folk singer Joan Shelley, who joins us to discuss her beautiful new record, The Spur, 
which is out now on No Quarter Records. Come back for that one. Trust me, it is a real sweet talk. All right, this transmission is concluded. It looks less like a beverage than a bathtub. The vodka's in the soda cup, the split second the film comes up And the edges get all blurry And she tries to pay attention to the story Of a superhero she's not really sure she's ever even heard of